you are up against aging or hormonal changes or thyroid challenges, you have to take that into consideration. And what would be an ideal strategy? Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high-performance mind, body, and lifestyle. Hi, friends. Can you believe that January is nearly over? Oh, my goodness. This year just seems to be racing past based on this month. Anyways, so I have some fantastic reviews that I want to read out. I am so super grateful to those of you that have gone on and left a review of the podcast. I've just been reading through them and it's so lovely to see. I have one here from Jennifer. Love listening to this podcast for health and biohacking tips. Great guests and very informative information. Keep it up, Angela. Thank you so much, um, Jennifer. Another one from Awesome Spaceball saying, I've been following and listening to Angela for a while now. I've learned so much. Things I wish I'd known 20 years or so ago but I'm doing all that I can so I can live longer and healthier. Now I'm in my fifties. My sleep has never been better. Thanks, Angela. That is so awesome. I am so happy to hear that. And thank you for sharing it. Um, We have another one here from Oak Tree over. Fabulous podcast regarding biohacking, introducing a wide range of trustworthy information with specialists in their field. I've learned so much already from Angela, who has a wealth of knowledge and extremely enthusiastic in helping her clients in many ways, not just concentrating on one subject. Looking forward to implementing her strategies into everyday life and I'm extremely thankful for sharing her healthy content, mind and body. Excellent. Thank you so much for that lovely review. And then I have another one from Cam saying fantastic, informative, whilst relevant and forefront of the science, a fantastic and informative podcast that helps keep things real and relevant. Angela is top of the field and it's very clear to see why one not to be missed. Thank you so much for all those wonderful reviews. I am so super grateful. Um, If you haven't left a review of the podcast, I would absolutely love it if you can. Um, Just head over to iTunes or Spotify and you can click to leave a positive review there. It really helps us to get the message out to a wider audience. And so I'm always super grateful. And every single month we are giving away a bundle of biohacking supplements. And so we will be giving away another bundle in February. And so if you leave a review and tag us with your review on social media on Instagram at Angela S. Foster, or if you've already left a review, simply share an episode that you're listening to on your story and tag us and we will enter you into next month's giveaway. As I say, last month we gave away um, over $300 worth of products and we'll be doing again the same in February. So, but today Today, I have a fantastic guest for you. I've been so excited to interview this guest for some time because as you know, I'm a big proponent of muscle-centric medicine. Muscle is an organ of longevity. And we've been talking all this month about how you can really achieve metabolic flexibility and lose um, lose body fat and gain muscle on the podcast. Hopefully, you've learned a lot from previous guests, um, Mike Matthews last week and also Brian Keane. And And in today's episode, we're going to be diving into diet and how you can really enhance your beauty, your fitness and your longevity with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Dr. Gabrielle is a Washington University fellowship trained physician in nutritional science and geriatrics and is board certified in family medicine and osteopathic manipulation. She completed her undergraduate degree in human nutrition, vitamin and mineral metabolism at the University of Illinois. Dr. Lyon is the founder of the Institute for Muscle Centric Medicine. She services the leaders, innovators, 
mavericks and executives in their prospective field. And in addition, Gabrielle works closely with special operations military and has a private practice that services patients worldwide. And in today's podcast, we are going to be diving into how you can really optimize your diet. We'll be talking about fasting alongside how much protein you really need. We'll be looking at the differences in um, those kind of mechanics for both men and women. So you can really optimize in a bio-individual way for you. Um, And it's a super interesting episode. It's um, short, it's punchy, it's to the point. But if you want to go and access the show notes, you can, as always, over on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com. But without further delay, let me introduce you now to Dr. Gabrielle. So I'm so excited to be joined with you here today, Gabrielle. Um, It's been a long time coming. Um, You were one of the guests that I really wanted to have on the podcast because I absolutely love your work and everything you share. So first of all, a very warm welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad this worked out. Yeah, so happy. So let's start because I think it's so important that people really understand this concept. You Mm -hmm. talk about muscle being an organ of longevity, and I think that's so key. Can you explain a little bit more about that for listeners, please? Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest concepts that I teach is muscle-centric medicine. And muscle-centric medicine is exactly that. It's the concept that muscle is the largest endocrine organ in the body, and it's responsible for the trajectory of how we age. Arguably, it's responsible not only for our locomotion and physical prowlness, it's also responsible for our metabolic nature, meaning being able to maintain our body composition. What's so interesting is when you think about it, diseases of Western society really are metabolic diseases. Hmm. Alzheimer's, you you know, there are genetic components of Alzheimer's early on, but Alzheimer's is a metabolic disease, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, obesity. These are diabetes. These are diseases that relate to metabolism. Traditionally, people talk about fat tissue, right? It's all about adiposity and how do we lose weight? And we're obese and we're, we're too overweight as the problem. That is a symptomology of a different root cause. The root cause is not obesity. The root cause is skeletal muscle. By understanding that skeletal muscle is the origin of the problem, Mm -hmm. then we actually can correct the way in which we go about executing treatment. Yeah. And you talk a lot about this, right? That most people are actually under muscled. Right. um, Because that's what gives them better lipid profiles in their bloods, better insulin sensitivity. And I think it's so important that people really understand this. My understanding is that muscle starts to decline from sort of 30 onwards if we're not using things like enough protein and resistance training. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And it's interesting because when we are very active, arguably that will be pushed out. We are domesticated as a species. So we use less, we use the escalator and even our jobs. Most people are not out in the field working. Mm. Individuals that are incredibly active are able to maintain muscle quality, which they probably did decades ago. However, when everything has now become more convenient, our capacity to maintain muscle really requires specific strategies. And that's exactly what you said, resistance training and really understanding the dosing of protein how you utilize that nutrient to stimulate muscle. Mm. It's, you know, it's so important. And I wish more people would really, really get the concept because for me, what I found both myself and my clients, if ever I feel like, and none of us are in 
peak, peak, 100% physical condition all the time, right? Most people will even say, I have a few pounds or a few kilos to lose, right? Where they're within that margin. And for me, the, the best trigger for that is as soon as you begin to strength train and you increase your protein, the fat that you need to lose actually just drops off. It isn't, yeah. it isn't that difficult, right? No, it's not. Um, yeah. So can we talk then, before we go into the type of training yeah. and the type and the amounts of protein, et cetera, people should um, be eating. Can you just briefly describe, because I know you have so much science on this, why yeah. it's so important? Because you also talk about, you know, how our muscle will draw on those amino acid reserves in times yeah. when we need immune function. I think people really need to understand just how important muscle mass is. It's not just aesthetic. Absolutely. And we know that the data supports the higher the amount of muscle and the quality of muscle. It's interesting. It's not so much the amount of muscle because arguably we don't know. I don't know what the ideal skeletal muscle mass is for you. And we don't know what the ideal skeletal muscle mass is for me. And typically in the, in the research, they use uh, limbs, appendicular skeletal muscle mass. Is that enough? And is that a good validated measurement for understanding muscle? I'm not sure. But what we do know is that the stronger you are, the higher your capacity to survive the higher your capacity to survive if you are on bed rest, if you get cancer, because cancer is a highly catabolic state, the body, the more skeletal muscle mass you have, the healthier that tissue is, the more you'll be able to survive. And that actually what's so fascinating about muscle is it is the only organ that we can really add to. We actually can increase the amount of an organ that we have in the body. And a significant amount. People could say, oh, well, you can train and make your cardiovascular system stronger. And perhaps there's some hypertrophy. While that is true, is that percentage that you are increasing the, the heart clinically significant? And, and the answer would likely be no, but skeletal muscle improves survivability across the board. And that is really fascinating for the data. In addition any kind of insult you have, your body will draw from the reserve of amino acids from your skeletal muscle. Yeah. So you actually need that for immune function. So actually, when you're talking that about people ending up, for example, in hospital, which is very, very common in the elderly, mm -hmm. and you see that rapid decline, one hospital yeah. is at least the next, they're more likely to fall, but also they're catabolizing that muscle tissue to mm -hmm. fight whatever infection or, or right. disease that they're hospitalized with. So, uh, so right. Yeah. In order to increase an individual survivability, you have to augment skeletal muscle. What also is so fascinating is that the tissue itself, muscle is a nutrient sensing organ, which means when you eat certain nutrients, specifically protein, it senses that it senses the branch chain amino acids. It senses leucine as we age and leucine is a branch chain amino acid, which is found in high quality proteins, which I know that we'll get to. In fact, as you age, the efficiency of sensing that protein decreases. When you think about it, this is, this is what you're up against. When you think about it, aging has a biological, there's a biological response to skeletal muscle tissue. No matter how fit you are, there's a biological response in the sensing capacity of that muscle, which is called anabolic resistance. Skeletal muscle also increases in insulin resistant insulin resistance as we age. It's just an aging phenomenon. 
So we have to become incredibly targeted at how we approach maintaining and keeping healthy tissue as we age. I just briefly want to interrupt today's show to tell you about a fantastic probiotic that I've been taking, which really helps to elevate your mood and optimize your mind. And that is Cognibiotics by my friends over at bioptimizers.com. This can really help you to reduce anxiety and brain fog and really sharpen your focus and boost your memory naturally. And that is Cognibiotics. You can get a cool 10% off your order by heading over to bioptimizers.com forward slash Angela and entering code Angela10 at checkout and over there you'll also see a couple of my other favorite products that i take on a daily basis and that is magnesium breakthrough and blood sugar breakthrough and you can get 10 percent off all of those with coupon code angela10 and heading over to bioptimizers.com forward slash angela now let's get back to the show so so important with that um sensing ability if you Mm -hmm. are targeting correctly because i've seen that you can you can see can't you um research that will show that even women in their 70s can gain muscle more muscle tissue more muscle mass absolutely age is not a block is it age is not a block it's not a block at all one would have to be very strategic and there's two sides to that coin you keep inflammation low you keep any kind of catabolic state, if they're going through long periods of fasting, which is not, I I never recommend that for an aged, a more mature individual. And specifically because of its relationship to skeletal muscle. Um, But you can always improve the quality of your life by improving strength training. And you can always improve, you can always lay down tissue as long as you are getting enough calories and enough protein. Yeah. And I think for women, this becomes more important, doesn't it? As they move through menopause, because they lose estrogen as a trigger. Yeah, um, and I think, yeah, if we could get more women in there, even earlier than their fifties, but definitely from 50 plus really training and increasing their protein, the outcomes would be much different. I absolutely agree with you. And I was just talking to one of the trainers that I utilize in my practice, Kara Killian, and we were talking and I said, you know, Hey, when you have women that are going through menopause, are you finding that they're always gaining weight? Because we do see around perimenopause, this is the time that women lose the most muscle and gain the most weight. Is it an estrogen thing? Is it a testosterone thing? Is a progesterone thing? It's obviously there's an estrogen component, but it's not across the board. One would have to say, is it that they've now decreased their activity? Is it that they've increased certain food choices? Do they have to then change the strategy of the way that they're eating? I think individuals that are in perimenopause, when you become more restrictive in your caloric intake, it becomes a no brainer. You have to, Mm. unless you are then training, you have to augment the training capacity. We do lose muscle as we age. We do, our metabolism does slow down as we age. Can you augment that with training? You can. But I always think, man, how do we be? forward thinking in preventing midlife weight gain in menopausal and postmenopausal women. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And also yeah. I think as well, like postpartum, right? There's a, there's an opportunity there as well when women are, mm-hmm. are getting back in shape actually to gain some muscle because you, your body's yeah. been busy putting on a, a certain amount <laughs> of fat. And I think women go, oh, I've got to lose the fat. I've got to lose the fat. But actually yes. it's like, no, actually, have you got to gain some muscle now? And then the fat's going to take care of itself. 
Right. Um, right. So when we're looking at like um, gaining muscle, because there's different amounts that we would need to actually physically gain muscle and then to get in a maintenance stage. So mm -hmm. when we're looking at women who now want to regain some muscle mass, what have you found? Because I think people get worried here and they feel like it's too much protein. From my perspective, as, I, as I've said with you, both myself and my clients, high protein is the easiest trigger to change, to do effectively a body recomposition. What have you found in terms of the amounts and the quality of protein that works best? I absolutely love what you're saying. I, do you have children? I do have three children. Did, yeah. you, you have three? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're my hero. I have two. <laughs> um, and they're very little. I have a six month old and a, a two year old. And I, I really love this perspective as it relates to moms. Moms always number one, think about losing that body fat, losing that baby weight. And when you refocus and you prioritize protein, it's interesting. There's a lot of conversation around, should you eat carbohydrates for milk production versus should you eat you know, proteins and fats. And I will say that dietary intake certainly changes the composition of the milk and the healthier, which we can define the healthier, the more nutritious, the human diet, the more nutritious, the infant's diet is going to be when it relates to uh, protein intake. What I have found for body recomposition is number one, you have to control for calories. And I think in our space, there's a lot of controversy over that you have to control for calories. And then the next question becomes, how do you control for calories while maintaining and improving skeletal muscle mass in my hierarchy of what is important? Number one, you control for calories. And I would say, depending on what an individual is doing, you can achieve weight loss between 12 and 1500 calories. And this, and that's a lower caloric load. The question that we also have to ask ourselves is, have we been overeating? Are we overconsuming? Obviously with lactation, it's a, a little bit of a higher calorie, but let's say you are done breastfeeding and you are now wanting to lose weight, you control for calories and then you optimize for muscle. And you do that by optimizing for protein. I like to go higher on the protein. I like to go one gram per pound, ideal body weight. Mm -hmm. For me, my pre-pregnancy weight is 123. My current protein intake is roughly around 130 grams. So it's a little higher, but there's no negative to being a little bit higher because I'm more calorie restricted. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that allows for satiation. I'm, I'm not having cravings. I'm not having swings in blood sugar. When I dose it appropriately, that first meal, whenever that is, has around 40 to 50 grams of protein. And the reason it has 40 to 50 grams of protein it allows me to one, stimulate muscle protein synthesis. It is my first meal coming off after being fasted. So I'm in a, a more catabolic state. My muscle is primed for nutrients. My metabolism, I'm, I'm previously running off of liver glycogen, right? Because I'm doing gluconeogenesis. My first meal is a robust amount to increase my threshold, the blood threshold of amino acids because amino acids are really interesting in that it's the boldest amount that matters. You cannot snack on protein and that snacking does not have the same impact on muscle. This is a very important concept to understand. As in you can't have a small amount of protein and expect the same trigger. That's that right. Okay. That's right. For people that sip on a protein shake. Okay. The key in 
understanding, optimizing body recomposition and optimizing muscle mass as we age is understanding that blood levels of amino acids need to rise to a specific point. And if you are below, if you are sub threshold and constantly sipping on these amino acids, you get a little, and then it goes down a little and it goes down, but you never heat, you never hit a threshold. For example, the threshold would be a minimum of 30 grams of protein. That is a minimum of, you know, four, four and a half ounces of beef, chicken, whatever it is. And the reason that is, is you need to hit what's called a leucine threshold, which is a, an essential amino acid. It is one of the brown chain amino acids. And as soon as you hit that, it triggers your muscle. It's like putting a key into a car and starting the car. And then the next thing after that is that you have to have all the amino acids. So let's say, for example, you're eating beef or bison. You have all the amino acids to then contribute to regeneration of muscle, to building more healthy, strong muscle over a period of time. Now, for people that like to eat little small meals a day and never reach a 30 to a more optimal 50 grams of protein, which is a robust amount, and it's really changing how we feed. And really rethinking what does it mean and how are we feeding to improve body composition, improve health, improve cravings, blood sugar control, all of the things. Ideally, you then balance it to a minimum of 30 grams of protein to a maximum of 55. Beyond that, you still absorb everything. But as, a, as it relates to optimization for muscle, then it, there's no reason to go higher than that. Okay. That's interesting. So what about people that are fasting and they're doing one meal a day? Um, they would then only be really, you, you said they'd still be absorbing the protein, but it won't all of be it. triggering all of it. Okay. That's interesting. I appreciated that, but they, this is an, this is another great point. I think that we should touch on the one meal a day people, mm. one meal a day. You have to define your goal. Is your goal to build muscle or is your goal to maintain tissue? And when I say tissue, I mean, are you just trying to maintain your body composition? If you are trying to maintain your body composition, you absolutely can get away with one meal a day. But ultimately, that means that you have to get all your protein in that one meal. Is that an ideal eating strategy? It is probably not an ideal eating strategy. A more and all I want to have a caveat in here. Humans are incredibly adaptable. We could do and cycle through different strategies. It doesn't have to be one way of eating for a lifetime where this is how I eat and this is what works for me. It can be for this one month, I am going to do one meal a day. I'm going to measure my body composition before. I'm going to measure it after. You can, for example, if you're younger, get away with one meal a day, assuming that you're training, uh -huh. you're doing resistance training and you're just doing a lot of activity then people, you, you know, some of the research would say, well, the 24 hour period amount of protein that you get in is really what's important. You know, how much protein you get in a 24 hour period. And, and I agree with that. However, I will say if you are up against aging or hormonal changes or thyroid challenges, you have to take that into consideration. And what would be an ideal strategy? I mean, that's at least what I've seen in clinical practice. Yeah. It's somewhere between 30 and 55 grams. For sure. And the literature supports that. Hmm. There is an art, there is a, a science of 
medicine and a science of and, and, and a science to nutritional science. And then there is the art of doing it, which comes from, you know, decades of practice and experience in the arena with patients. The best of both worlds is really combining the science and then the clinical practice. Yeah, for sure. And what about in terms of when people have done resistance training, mm -hmm. some of the research I've looked at is particularly for women, having that dose of protein with some carbohydrates can moderate mm -hmm. that cortisol response if it's within 60 minutes of the workout. Is that something that you encourage people to do? So once I, yes, I encourage, it depends on what the goal is. Are you looking for muscle glycogen replenishing? Then carbohydrates are important. Are you looking for muscular repair and really building muscle, then it would be protein. If you are looking for a combination of both, then both is, is fantastic. Mm -hmm. As it relates to cortisol, I don't think increased cortisol levels while training is a negative, right? It, it's not, it's how the body is designed. I think where cortisol becomes a problem is if you are going through ebbs and flows of blood of challenges with blood sugar regulation throughout the rest of the day. Yeah. I will point out something else. These are great questions and you're allowing me to talk and serve your audience, which I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. I know that I am giving you long explanations, but these questions are so, you really nailed these questions. Oh, thank you. Post-training is very important if you are perimenopausal or older. Postmenopausal, older, perimenopausal, any kind of chronic inflammation. And I'm going to tell you why. The literature supports that if you have, if you are older, if you are postmenopausal, if you are obese or struggling with inflammation, your tissue has the physiology of a quote, an older, more mature individual. To simply state that by having a robust amount of protein post-training, your body is primed to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Okay. You've got nutrients to the tissue. It allows you to lower your protein dose post-training. Okay. And what that means is there's, you know, people will say, well, it doesn't really matter how close to training that you eat your protein for muscle protein synthesis or body recomposition. And I would argue that most of the data is done in younger, healthy men. And that if you are a woman and if you have um, hormonal changes, if you are obese or are, if you are older, then we know that you can overcome anabolic resistance, which is that in a inefficiency of skeletal muscle when you resistance train. And then when you eat protein. Amazing. Which is interesting because that's exactly what I've been doing recently. And I'd, I'd, yeah, so I'd, I'd gone through a stage because I like to periodize training. I'd gone through a stage where I was right. doing more cardio and some people listening, right, will be doing that and they're into running. And then I'll go through a stage and I'm like, right, I want to gain some more muscle mass. And I've been very, very disciplined with my protein. And now I can get back to doing, I'm 45. I can get back to doing a pull-up with no assistance. Amazing. And that is literally through the resistance training and the protein. And that's why I'm so like, yeah. I'm so excited to have you on because I just think the more people that can really get this, the more right. they can protect their health and longevity. I uh, agree with you. And we're up against a lot. It's interesting because I think in, in our space that we're in, it's either keto or paleo. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's kind of keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian. It's not protein forward or wait, there's one more group or it's kind of the bro. Hey dude, I'm going to eat a lot of protein, kind of the bodybuilder space. 
the reality is it's probably, and, and there's not really a, there's a carnivore space, but that is, you know, while I would say my diet is, is probably more on the carnivore style, there are these, these groups that are a bit extreme. And I think that if we were to really break it down and look at what the priority would be for aging, it is high quality protein. It is. And you create a flexible plan where you prioritize protein. It's a protein forward plan. That's your number one priority. The next thing that you do is you decide, do you tolerate carbohydrates or do you tolerate fat? I tolerate carbohydrates. I do much better on carbohydrates, even when calories are controlled versus doing better on fats. So the individual then decides they've prioritized protein. They know how much they're getting in a day. They know how much they're getting in a meal. And then they determine, do they do better on carbohydrates or fats? And then you do a meal dosing on both those macronutrients. Yeah. And some of that is genetic, isn't it? In terms of the way you process carbs and, uh, and you want to know what I really think it is. Go on. I really think that it is a gut microbiome. It is a gut microbiome issue. And we're starting to see that. Okay. In some of the new research that came out, there was a paper in nature, actually Donald Lehman, who is uh, my partner in, um, he's my mentor and we do a lot of education together. The gut microbiome, a vegan vegetarian individual who eats a lot of fibers and certain kinds of fibers, the, the proof of concept study is that their gut microbiome looks more like a ruminant, like a cow. What does that mean? That means that they actually can break down and generate their own essential amino acids for a period of time. I That's saw wild. About yeah. On YouTube. I, when I was researching actually for mm -hmm. this podcast, really interesting conversation you're having as if, so if they've eat, if they're on a plant-based diet, they're then making enough essential amino acids yeah. by their gut bacteria, which is so right. fascinating because I get right. asked this question a lot with vegetarians. Well, how can I get enough protein without the, the difficulty, isn't it? Is they're not having, you're always having carbs. Every time you're having protein as a vegetarian or a vegan, you're having carbohydrates. Right. particularly as a vegan, right. which can be a challenge for some people. But then if you have enough muscle mass, even notwithstanding the microbiome, right, the carbs are not going to be an issue because I remember eating such high carbs after my second pregnancy to get back in shape. Mm. And yeah, I kind of had an eight pack coming because I was training Amazing. so hard. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? It got to the point where I was like, actually, this is a bit too lean. I don't like it. Wow. And the carbs were not the issue because right. you're doing the right training. And I think right. that's the other component, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. And I think that it's going to be interesting. The question will become, what is an individual's goal? Is an individual's goal for optimization? Then if their, their goal is to optimize skeletal muscle, a vegetarian vegan diet is, probably lacks sustainability for that, but it doesn't mean that they can't survive on it or function well on it. Again, is it about muscle mass or is it about other things? I will tell you the data shows and that I've seen in clinic is that vegetarians and vegans tend to be smaller, smaller bones, smaller muscle mass. They tend to have more related problems of aging, sarcopenia, osteoporosis, and that's more of a nutrient thing. And of course, you know, over a lifetime of, of consumption of whatever that is. Um, yes, that being said, I do think the body can be very flexible. Again, the question becomes, how do you, you know, everything has a season, what season? So you were in your season after your second baby of getting lean. And that was the season that you were in. 
And then you strategize what is your eating philosophy for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course, though, there are really good strategies that stand the test of time, which is what a protein forward strategy would be. And um, what about in terms of training? So when somebody is trying to do that body recomposition, um, what have you found in terms of the ideal balance? Like from from my understanding here, we have to create enough of a trigger, right? So we've got to lift heavy enough to create that stimulus to the muscle tissue. Have you found there's different ways of doing this? There's enough Hollywood celebrities that are saying, I just lift three pound dumbbells and I'm in this amazing shape. You'd have to do so many repetitions, right? Because right. that's even lighter than body weight. Right. Um, I'm just curious what you found and with your uh, in your clinic in that respect. Volume matters. Right. Focus intensity and Stu um, Stu Phillips talks a lot about this at McMaster University. It, it really is about volume, and I think that data is clear. And then it is about exertion, volume, and exertion. I recommend you know, and then training status. Is this a novice train? individual, is this an intermediate or advanced trained? If an individual is advanced, then there is a component to muscle memory. In addition, those people put on muscle mass much slower versus a new individual who is going to put on, they could put on a couple pounds of muscle in a, in a month, right? They could put on maybe two pounds of muscle, it depends. And then of course that training volume is, is really what matters and how they're doing it. And if they're hitting body parts twice a week, you know, having a really good structured program is important. You know, I always recommend, like I said, Kara Killian or Lane Norton has great structured programs. These are guys that are very science oriented and in Andy Gelpin, the reason why it's good to speak with an exercise physiologist when it comes to program programming there's always a path forward and you can do a path that takes a long time because you're inefficient or you can do a very efficient path forward. And I think when it comes to body recomposition, you have to get that exercise component and then you have to get that nutritional and the other, the, all the other components, right? Gut health matters, really your ability to absorb nutrients, um, sleep matters. Most people, many of the athletes that I train and many of the military ops guys, they all have sleep apnea even though they're fit, it, it, it has nothing to do with it. It has to do with the musculature. And a lot of the women, when women go through perimenopause and postmenopause, this is the time they get sleep apnea with the hormones change. Mm, interesting. This is important stuff. And then you correct for the, the lifestyle factors and you see real improvement. And what about with, um, cause this, I'm curious and I haven't been able to really get to the bottom of this when you're looking at taking collagen orally, right? So it's not a full spectrum of essential amino no. acids. It's missing mm-hmm. the tryptophan, but it's providing a very specific trigger, right? So it's triggering collagen production within the body. What happens if you then you have essential amino acids alongside collagen, do you then miss out on that, on that trigger? No, you don't, you have to, ha- no, you don't, but it, it is missing tryptophan. So you would need tryptophan and it's very low in the branch chain amino acids. It's high in proline, hydroxyproline. You would need to do a combination and just really make sure that it was balanced. I think actually collagen is great. I think collagen is great. I don't think collagen is great for muscle. doesn't do anything for muscle. I haven't seen a ton of great evidence on collagen, but I haven't clinically, I have seen it do really good things at much higher doses. And, um, I do think it's a great product. And I do think that we are seeing some data for hair, skin, and nails, which makes sense 
um, the question becomes absorption. And it has to be at that high dose, doesn't it? A lot of the supplements you see when people are taking it are actually so low in terms yeah. of the amount of collagen. Yeah. Yeah. What about with taking essential amino acids? So you were saying like with when you're looking like at um, a protein source, mm -hmm. somewhere between 30 and 55 grams, yep. say you're going to actually just take some essential amino acids sure. in powder or a tablet form. How much do you need of those? Because those are going right in. It's about 50%. So if it's, it's a, so if it, it's about 50%, so if it's 30 grams of protein, it's 15 grams of essential amino acids. Okay. It's a lot. It's a lot to be taking. And then you're missing the food matrix. Mm. You're missing the iron, the zinc, the selenium, the B vitamins, the creatine, the taurine. I mean, maybe you're getting some taurine, but you're missing all the other components. We have to begin to think about the macronutrients and the food sources as food matrixes. Right now, we have this isolated thought of protein, carbohydrates, and fats, as opposed to what is in it that makes up the whole component, right? When an individual goes to an essential amino acid, which can be very helpful if their diet is low in protein, the question then becomes, and what one would have to think about is what about the other components like I said, those minerals, those vitamins and minerals that you're now not getting. Yeah. Yeah. And that becomes an issue and that becomes an issue. And I, I do, but I do think it's very valuable. I do think that if, you know, you don't want to be eating that much or you are vegan and vegan or vegetarian, that can be beneficial. Mm. The other place that it's beneficial is if you are willing to add in a high quality protein like beef, but you only want to eat one or two ounces, then you add in an essential amino acid mix. Yeah. Yeah. That can work. I've, I've used that as well. Sometimes like, I mean, it's weird. It doesn't that. taste great to mix it, but again, one has to understand that it needs to be consumed in together. It has to be consumed together to get enough of that stimulus. Yeah. If you, if you are looking for muscle, if you are looking to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, then you must feed it appropriately. And yeah. what about when you're training, say you're doing a fasted resistance workout in the morning, would you take mm -hmm. some essential no. amino acids? No. no. Now you're moving into training in a low glycogen state, which we are beginning to see again. The, the research is very new on myokines. Myokines are cytokines produced by skeletal muscle that go through the body and can actually do some, some kind of nutrient partitioning like interleukin-6. This, I believe that depending on what the goal is, training fasted can be beneficial. Again, if you're looking for performance and of course, if your calories are controlled, then right now the argument is that it doesn't matter if you train fasted or not. From a different perspective, the cytokine release may be different when you are training fasted versus not. But again, this is very early science. You know, you're talking about, uh, you know, 2009 or so right? This is, this is early science that these, yeah, that right. this, some of this data is coming out. Interesting. But you would say actually training in a fasted state is not an issue. So long as you're going to refuel. No, because no, right. That makes sense. I mean, exercise is a catabolic state. You don't train and you're not putting on muscle. You, you put on muscle. It's really in the recovery. And I think that those are good questions. I think it depends on the individual. And I think it depends on the kind of training. Mm -hmm. For example, my husband, who's a seal, he does, he trains fasted okay. and he'll go and do a hundred pull-ups and million push-ups, and be nut job. And then he'll eat later. Yeah. Right. But he won't eat before he'd barf. 
I think it's also a function of time, isn't it? I was having a conversation with a client just today because like for me, for example, it's, I'm very unlikely to do a workout if it hasn't been done by And here in the UK now, it's like 2.45. Right. If I haven't worked out in the morning, it's unlikely. I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, you have three children. You're like <laughs> yeah. superhuman. I don't even know. What are their ages? They, well, they're older now. They are 14, 12 and nine. So I mean, it's a bit easier. Still, I don't even know. Yes. If you are not going to get up and do it, then I, I mean, I'm the same way. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I um, also think putting strategies where you know that you become the kind of person to do that thing makes the most sense. Yes, I agree. You, you become that person. It is a non-negotiable, right? This You execute it. You don't wait for motivation. And I think that human behavior is incredibly predictable. You have to know your weaknesses deeply because they show up cyclically. And then you plan for them. Yes. That's so been my experience. And what about, that's so true, um, what about in terms of cardiovascular exercise, mm -hmm. um, what have you found there? Because for me, when I'm, and, and some of the research team, when you're trying to actually gain muscle, um, yeah. not doing long endurance sessions, unless they're in a very kind of sort of low intensity state, right. just works super well, and you don't tend to put on fat. Um, I'm curious what you found in, and in the literature as well. So exactly that. I you know, what is your focus? If you are constantly training and doing a lot of cardiovascular activity, it is hard to put on muscle. You do, can you do it? You can do it, but you need a very, you know, a large amount of calories. You have to be resistance training. Those kinds of long endurance things tend to be catabolic. You can see what people who do that look like. It does become difficult to put on muscle, right? Yeah. Um, I think again, everything has a season. And when we adjust for that season, then you hit those goals. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you have a great download on your website about the lion first. It's amazing in terms yeah. of how to um, apportion these things and get enough protein. I guess one sort of last question before we close is for somebody, you talk about dosing the protein according to your target goal weight. Uh -huh. And so one pound, one gram per pound of body weight. Mm -hmm. What about for somebody who is drastically overweight? Would you have them that obviously their interim goal is going to be very different if they're ultimately trying to get to 140 pounds, but right now they're 300 pounds. Right. How would you adjust for somebody in that situation? It's one gram per pound ideal body weight. Still. Okay. Ideal. No, 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 not. So for example, if someone is 300 pounds and their ideal body weight is 200, then they go to 200 grams of protein. And again, the literature doesn't necessarily support one gram per pound ideal body weight, but I, but it is defendable mm -hmm. from a scientific standpoint, that number is defendable. Typically for an older adult or for a lot of the literature, it talks about between 1.2 to 1.6 grams or even 1.8 gram per kilogram. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that there is any issue by adjusting up to one gram per pound ideal body weight. Yeah. Does an individual have to do that for an optimal body recomposition? They don't at all. You could easily get carbohydrates or fats or, or some other macronutrient. The question becomes, if you are in a calorie deficit, what is the most effective way to maintain skeletal muscle if you are not training? arguably you are going to become more tired depending on how strict you are, then it is defendable to increase that protein intake. There's never been evidence to support that high protein is a problem. Mm -hmm. Despite what the narrative is, the data doesn't support that. 
Yeah, what well, in terms of when people are talking about too much activation of things like mTOR, which actually happens from high carbohydrate consumption anyway. It does. And also mTOR is in every cell of the body, mm. right? It's a protein kinase. It's a complex. And there's and, and mTOR is exquisitely sensitive to amino acids and skeletal muscle. And in the liver and the pancreas, it's exquisitely sensitive to energy and carbohydrates. If an individual really cares about mTOR and not to mention exercise stimulates mTOR. Mm. The question becomes, you know, uh, if someone is concerned about mTOR, then you shouldn't be having small veg vegetarian carbohydrate meals throughout the day. You would have discrete meals and that's it, right? Yeah. And it would yeah, be lower sure. carbohydrates and it would um, be strategic. Yeah, I think the strategy we keep going back to is absolutely key. Um, you talked about the... Um, importance like when we were talking about exercise of doing things and finding out our weaknesses and i know this is a huge area for you particularly being married to a navy seal you are super successful in everything you do you have a book club coming which i'm really yeah. excited is around leadership yep. um i want to talk more about that and also like what you do like what are some of the habits that you have outside of like the way you fuel your body in terms mm -hmm. of things like meditation, exercise, things that you feel help make you resilient and stronger and protect your longevity? It's interesting. I don't have much dichotomy between my work and the flow of my family. It all is kind of in flow together. For example, work to me isn't, oh my gosh, it's Monday. It's not like that. I I would say some of the strategies that I have implemented that I, I really haven't done is I love what I do. So I have a private concierge practice where I take care of uh, different groups of people, but really the mavericks, the innovators, the people that change the world, or kind of like the people that need to get the job done, right? They call me in to get the job done because they've been to 13 other people. They can't lose weight. They still feel like crap. You know, I, I get it done. Um, if you were to ask me what are strategies that I put into place, I schedule everything out and I'm getting better at exactly, you know, when this is happening, when this is happening, I always train, I always exercise and I always train. Eating is a no brainer for me. Um, I always read I'm very passionate about reading and educating myself, which is where the book club came from. We have this thing where you read 10 pages a day. I read more than 10 pages a day. Um, I always design my day. I have a group. We have a, um, I work with the handle group and I have, there's this group and we design our day before the day happened. This is what's going to happen today. This is how I'm going to design my day. This is who I am showing up as, and this is how I'm executing it. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, you know, like, did you get your you know, stuff done? Is this what happened? And if it's not, there's a reflection as to why and a rewriting of what happened rewriting of the day so then it allows you forward movement every day that's interesting yeah mm -hmm. you set aside time for that at the end of the day both in the morning and yeah, at the end the of the morning, day but also that yeah. review is so critical yeah because um, otherwise you're on autopilot i'm not on autopilot mm, it's yeah. it's yeah it's how do you make improvements and then the other thing i always make time for friends I, I, I feel that friendship is a really big currency and it's really important. So connecting with other humans is, I would say something I love to do. Yeah. So important. And yeah. when you talk about daily exercise, are you alternating then between resistance training, cardiovascular training, flexibility? I am in my ideal world. I would 
do resistance training four or five days a week. And then I would do some kind of intense cardio because I actually do better on that. I enjoy it. I, I like to do interval type stuff where, you know, it's, it's really tough right now. My, I'm lifting four days a week. And then on the alternate days, I'm doing some kind of cardiovascular, whether it's an airdyne, whether it's a stair mill, whether it's a row for time, but in my ideal world, I'd love to do both every day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then I suppose it would impact your recovery with two kids and a busy. Right. Busy yeah. Yeah. So it, it does impact the Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that we are going to start taking our daughter to martial arts. We'll see if they allow it two years old. And then I would love to be able to do that with her, but there's other things, but yes, that is what I'm doing right now. I don't do much flexibility. I tend to be hypermobile. Um, I, I love doing, I might throw a session of kettlebells in there, which I have someone great that you should have on your podcast. People would love her. Her name is Melissa Paris. She, especially for moms, she trained me through both pregnancies and postpartum. Awesome. All kettlebells. This girl is strong. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I'd love to connect with her. Strong and fit. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So those the are the things. Are a lot of fun as well. And they get their job done. So yeah. Yeah. yeah it hits both. Yeah. That would be, I'd love to, um, to connect with her. And in terms of the book club, cause this sounds exciting. You're talking yes. about leadership. You've obviously got some amazing mm-hmm. like experts coming in potentially. You've got great book resources. How does that work? Cause I'm sure people listening yeah. are very interested in this. This, and this depends on when this comes out, but this is, I am doing a book club with my friend, Emily Frisella, and it's really about personal development, leadership, and excellence. I think that what we're seeing now is the media that we're getting all our information delivered to us, that it's being spoon fed. Whereas before, you know, and in traditional histories, we've individuals, humans have always gotten it through books. And this is our effort. It's a passion project for us. It's our effort to step away from being fed scrolling and getting your information from Facebook or the internet or the news and actually going back to, you know, like books, right? Books that you're reading and really thinking about it and taking time and space to read because that is how, again, that and story is how traditional knowledge was, you know, gained, accrued. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to have the authors come on. We're also going to have a guest expert who is an expert in that subject. So for example, you know, we'll, we'll probably start with a couple uh, Navy SEAL books in the beginning to build a foundation of character and the core ethos. We believe in innovation. We believe in transparency and truth and, and these kinds of things. It's going to be awesome. So they can go to, I'll, I'll also send you a link. It's freedom reads. Um, we have an Instagram and the link I believe is freedomreads.com. I have to, of course, confirm that we'll be only open for short periods of time because we want everyone to be on the same page. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and a lot of people, I think read books, almost they're trying to read too many sometimes, right? Some people don't read enough. Some people try to read too much and they're not really digesting it. Um, so we will link to that in the show notes. That's super exciting. It's something I want to join myself. Um, do you have a favorite book that has inspired you along the way? Oh gosh. So like I said, reading is one of my, it's, it's one of the things I do. Um, what is a favorite book? You know, everyone will say the alchemist, but I have been, there's so many, but David White is is a great author. W H Y T. Have you read anything? No, I haven't. Um, yeah, just so many, so many books. And right now I'm reading attributes by rich Divini. And that's the difference between skill acquisition and then 
who you are, your baseline, your natural tendencies of attributes and navigating both of those and what is important in building a team. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I am also an avid reader. So I will link to Freedom Read in the show notes. Um, We'd so love to have you. I mean, it's really, oh, and it's right. also about community. So it's also about a group of people that believe the same things that we believe. Mm. Right. You know, and yes. there are, there's all kinds of things. There's mentorships groups or there's all kinds of things, but how amazing would it be that you could listen to your favorite author where you read a book called, you know, overcome or the trident or habits by James clear. And then you have James talking about the book and that you are part of, and you're submitting questions. And then you have another expert that's implemented this be amazing. It will be. And then we'll have curriculum. And it's, again, it's really a passion project that I feel is going to be really important and impactful and of service to people, especially right now. And it's a way of not dividing us, but it's a way of bringing us together. And you know, nutrition and health is very divisible and it's unfortunate. It's very division oriented. You believe this and I believe this, therefore we can't be friends. And it is not a way to elevate, elevate humanity. And when you think about what it takes for us to be the best version of ourselves, it's not being in our own echo chamber. It is about being collaborative and being together. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think no other time has there been a greater need in the last sort of hundred years now, really, for unity and community. I think it's just and I agree. The division that I've seen in the health industry over the last twelve months has been such a shame. Um, and I think, yeah, the more we can bring people together for the greater good and also strengthening them, body and mind, the better. Um, I agree. I love what you're doing. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Yeah. Where can people find you, Gabrielle, so they can yes. with you? I'm very active on Instagram and that's Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, L-Y-O-N. Also my YouTube channel. I'm really trying to put a lot of effort now that my baby is six months old and semi-sleeping. I'm able to kind of get back into the swing of things because I do have that, the private practice that I run. Um, my website where they can sign up on my newsletter, I curate it. And so the website, there's going to be courses coming out. I do have a book coming out. It's still in the early stages. Uh, let's see what else. Um, that's it. So the website and then Twitter. And you guys shoot me a DM. I am definitely here to help. If there's anything that people are interested in to hearing more about, please let me know because it definitely matters in terms of getting feedback and getting your questions answered. Awesome. I yeah. love link to all of those. And Great. the website is GabrielleLyon.com. Yeah, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. And that, that will be going through a rework um, eventually, but... Yeah. And as I say, there's an amazing PDF on there, the Lion Protocol, that I think is just so super helpful for people to download and understand really how to dose yeah. the macros and get that right. So we'll mm-hmm. link to that. Um, I've, I've definitely enjoyed reading that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's of been- course. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster, the show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle.